Welcome to our podcast for college Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. In the last episode, we spoke about what is the Catholic meaning of faith. Today, we shall share some further concepts related to the faith and some of its characteristics. For example, that your faith should be certain, that it should be complete or integral, that is, without picking and choosing what to believe and what not to believe, that it is not opposed to science and reason, that you should endeavor to understand it better and constantly learn more about it, and finally, that your faith should encompass your entire life, inspiring your choices, your thoughts, and your love. Believe me, some of these aspects of our faith are crucial in understanding how we should live out our way of being disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why I encourage you to study in depth these concepts, most of which you will find in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in the numbers 150 through 184. I will end the episode sharing a great example of how life-changing our faith should be, following the example of St. John Henry Newman. So, in the left episode, we said that the act of faith is an act of the intelligence, moved by our will and by the grace of God, by which we accept all the truths that God has revealed and the Church teaches as revealed by God. And we accept these truths because we accept the witness and the authority of God, who cannot be deceived, nor deceive us. Because of this, some of you might have realized that if in the act of faith we imply that we have to first believe in God, then the act of faith cannot include the truth of the existence of God. And in fact, you're right. Accepting the existence of God is not per se part of the object of the act of faith, but a foundation for the act of faith. That is, if faith implies accepting the witness of God, then the existence of that God is a truth that comes before accepting the witness from God. This is why the truth of the existence of God is what we call a preamble of faith or a foundation previous to making an act of faith. That is why when we talked about accepting the existence of God in the episode and some episodes before, episode number five to be more specific, when we talk, talked about accepting the existence of God, we gave rational reasons to accept his existence. So this is why I would encourage you to check episode five on how to prove the existence of God. And also, if you want to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Numbers 31 through 35. So if you want, the existence of God is more of a philosophical truth, a belief, but not part of the object or the direct object of the act of faith. Although we still say that we believe in God because we do not see him and because it is also contained in God's revelation. The, the fact that God exists. But let us move on to the main topic of today's episode. I was saying that the proper understanding of faith has certain consequences for our life and for the way we believe. First of all, I want to underscore the fact that having faith is first and foremost a grace of God. It is a gift of God. 
Yes, there is a personal act involved. I have to endeavor to believe and I have to want to believe. But it would not be possible for us to have faith or even to begin to have faith unless God gave us his grace to do so. He, God, is the one who inspires the beginning of our faith. And he is the one who, through his grace, moves our will and our mind to complete the act of faith. So we should always ask for that grace to have faith and also for the grace to persevere in that faith to the end. Apart from being a grace of God, faith has to be freely embraced, something that we have to do freely. We cannot coerce or force people into believing. This would be actually impossible. If faith is ever coerced, it wouldn't be faith, and it actually would lead to many other bad consequences. It would be better to wait patiently for a person's conversion, praying all the while, than to try to force them to believe in the gospel. Now, this does not mean that people don't have a moral obligation to believe. Everyone should embrace what God has revealed through Jesus Christ. But that step must be an act of your free will in such a way that if you freely choose not to believe, even when you had good reasons to do so, you will have to give an account of that before God. Now, there's another characteristic that is, for me, most important, a characteristic of faith, and it stems from the reason why we believe. Because what makes me accept the truths of faith is the authority of God who reveals and not my own judgment or my own opinion. So, if the reason why I believe is the authority of God who reveals, therefore my faith should be certain, that is, without a shadow of doubt. And why is this so? Well, because God is truth itself, and therefore he cannot be mistaken, or he wouldn't be God. Besides, he cannot lie to us or deceive us, because, again, he would not otherwise be God. So while the witness of God is infallible, the witness of our senses and of our mind could err. So I can make a mistake with my senses, or I can make a mistake with my reason, but God cannot make any mistake because he is God. This is why St. Thomas Aquinas says that the assent we give to the revelation of God should be more certain than any other truth known by our own senses or our own efforts. Now, there's another characteristic of faith, and that is that it should be complete or integral. And again, it stems from the same principle that our faith depends on the fact that God revealed the truth. If God revealed the truth and I accept those truths because of the authority of God who reveals, then my faith, your faith, should be complete or integral. That is, I should believe everything that God, ha God has says. If we believe because God is the one who spoke, who revealed himself, and he cannot be mistaken or lied to us because he is God, then it only makes sense to accept absolutely everything that he has revealed 
as long as I can confirm that it is he who revealed it. I'll give you an example. Let's suppose that we decide to reject one or more of the truths that God has revealed. For example, we believe everything that God has revealed except the fact that he will grant us the resurrection of our bodies in the last day. And we reject this truth because it doesn't make sense to us. We think that it is not really possible, and therefore it doesn't make sense to us, that we will rise from the dead after having our bodies corrupted in the grave. Then, that would mean that all the other truths that we accept or believe, we really accept because they make sense to us. This one that does not make sense to us, we do not believe, and therefore the others that do make sense to us, we believe, but not because God revealed them anymore. In this case, we would have lost that supernatural faith, and instead we would have a certain belief or a system of thought on the other, accepting the other truths that God has revealed, we accept them because we think they make sense. And therefore, it would be a belief or a system of thought and not anymore faith, supernatural faith. Another characteristic of faith is that it is universal in the sense that God revealed himself to teach the way to salvation to all men, regardless of the country where they live and the particular group they belong. The fact that we are human beings is beyond nationalities or ethnicities, and God revealed himself so that all men could be saved. Therefore, just as the revelation of God is for all men, so the faith by which we accept that revelation is universal as well. In this sense, all men are called to believe in the same Jesus Christ and in the same gospel and be part of the same church. This is why we say that the Catholic faith is above and beyond all nationalities and group distinctions. Now, there's another quality or characteristic of our faith, and it is one of those that is most questioned, and that is that it is not and it cannot be opposed to a real, well-proven scientific conclusion. Or, if you want, that there is agreement or harmony between faith and reason and between faith and science. If faith is correctly understood and the conclusions of science are properly proven, there is no reason to find opposition between faith and science or between faith and reason. The reason behind this is that the object of faith, that is the revelation of God, comes from God. And on the other hand, the object of science, that is the created world, also comes from God. So because God is one, he cannot contradict himself. And he is the source of the truth that is in that created world. And he is the source of the truth that is in his revelation. So therefore, there cannot be a contradiction between the truth that is in the world and the revealed truth. So, as long as there is a correct understanding of your faith, and as long as the conclusions of science are correctly proven, there shouldn't be any contradiction. Now, the problem 
Problems arise when either there is a misunderstanding of what faith teaches, or on the other hand, when particular scientists go beyond the realm of science and try to talk about philosophy or theology or set forth moral principles that are outside of the scope of science. Or they start talking about scientific, scientific hypotheses that have not, been pro- had not, have not been proven yet as if they were proven uncertain. Now, Pope St. John Paul II spoke about this at length in his encyclical Fides et Ratio, about faith and reason, which, of course, I encourage you to read. Another aspect of our faith is that it is not easy to know it all at once. This is why I encourage you to continue learning and trying to understand your faith, trying to go deeper in its meaning. We start through faith, through an act of faith, but we need to understand it better. And by understanding it better, we will be able to believe more firmly. So by believing, we can understand things better, and by understanding our faith better, we can believe with greater strength. Now, one final aspect of faith that I'd like to address is that the fact that it should be all-encompassing. That is, it should affect your entire lives. Faith cannot be reduced to one aspect of your life. For example, your private family life, while leaving out your duties or your conversations with your friends. Nor should it be reduced to a particular moment in the week. For example, to live out your faith on Sundays or for Christmas and Easter. Because you're always one and the same person, and because you will give an account to God for everything you do, you should always believe and you should always allow that faith to inspire your choices, your studies, your career choices, your business decisions, your sports the way you play, the way you enjoy yourself on weekends, the advice you give to friends, the people you hang out with, the music you listen to, the way you conduct yourself everywhere. A great example of this all-encompassing life of faith is what happened in the life of an English saint, John Henry Newman. He was an Anglican priest who acquired certain prominence in the Anglican Church. And as he endeavored to understand his faith more, and as he tried to understand why the Anglican Church was the true church, he ended up realizing that the truth was in the Catholic Church. And then he realized that he would have to do one of the greatest sacrifices in his life if he wanted to be faithful to God. But before I tell you all the story of the saint, let me tell you that prayer was essential to his process of conversion. And here we come to the last aspect of faith that I want to talk about, and that is that we cannot take for granted our faith. We must persevere to the end in our faith. And it is not easy to do that. We have to put certain means to persevere. First of all, through prayer, we should ask God the gift of faith, and the gift, particularly the gift of final perseverance that is the gift of persevering until death in our faith. We should also do constant acts of faith, especially when we're doubting or struggling. We should say, God, I believe in you, 
I believe in everything you have told us through Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. Even if I cannot understand everything, I believe and I want to believe more strongly in your divine revelation. We should also continue to learn about our faith through study and reading and especially to try to find good answers to our questions. And in that sense, I encourage you, if you have questions about your faith or about these things that I'm presenting in the podcast, do not doubt to email me at info at fourcollegecatholics.org and ask the questions you want. And if I can answer them, answer them in, by email, I will do so, or maybe I will answer them in the podcast itself. Another thing that we should do to persevere in our faith is to avoid readings or music and especially movies or documentaries that go against our faith or that are inspired by an anti-Catholic spirit many times or that undermine our faith in any way. And finally, we should go frequently to visit Jesus, our friend, in the Most Blessed Sacrament where he is always waiting for us to strengthen us and to give us abundant graces. So again, as we said before, St. John Newman is a great example of a life in which the consequences of faith are lived out entirely. He was born in London in 1801. He studied at Trinity College in Oxford, going on to become an Anglican priest and a leading theologian in England. He was one of the founders of the Oxford Movement, an intellectual movement that intended to deepen the faith and revitalize the Anglican Church. He started a small religious community of men in a sort of monastic experiment within the Anglican Church. His conversion was a slow process that took around seven years of study and research before taking the final step. On December, sorry, on September 1843, the Reverend John Newman, vicar of one of the most famous churches in England, St. Mary's in Oxford, preached his last sermon as an Anglican. He asked the people to pray for him, that in all things he may know God's will, and at all times he may be ready to fulfill it. It would still, stick, it would still take him two more years to enter what he was to call the, true, the one true fold of Jesus Christ. St. John Newman wanted to be certain that he was doing, that what he was doing was not the result of his own private judgment, but that it was God's will. The society, the political and scientific society in which he lived, was increasingly putting private judgment over God's truths. But the certitude John Newman was looking for could not come from his logical reasoning about the church history and its developments, but it should come from God. And this certitude led him to the Catholic Church, what they call at the time the Roman Church. Newman's conversion was the result of his research and acceptance of what he considered to be undeniable and non-negotiable, absolute, objective, and revealed truths about the supernatural world. So by his historical research of the Catholic Church history, he had come to recognize that the Anglican Church was in schism and therefore separated from the true Church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, his personal salvation depended on being a part of, or if you want, being in the Catholic Church. 
as he himself wrote in his Apologia. The simple question is, can I, it is personal, not whether another, but can I be saved in the English church? Am I in safety were I to die tonight? Up to there, St. John Newman. And in spite of all the sacrifices he had to embrace, because he gave up his social environment of the Anglican Church, in which he was very well respected, he gave up a well-paid job, an Oxford fellowship, and in spite of the backlash he had to endure from those who felt slapped in the face by his conversion, Newman decided step by step to enter the Catholic Church. St. John Henry Newman was finally received into the Catholic Church in 1845 by a passionate passionist priest, Blessed Domenico Barberi, who had a great influence on his conversion. And finally, he was canonized on October 13, 2019. Now, the life of St. John Newman was not easy, and the process he went through was not easy as well. He had several moments of darkness and of fear. And at all, throughout all that time, he asked God to guide him with his light, with his kind light. And he wrote a poem, which I will put in the show notes, but I'll try to the best of my ability to read the first stanza of this poem. And it goes like this. Lead kindly light amidst the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. There's four more stanzas which I will uh, put in the show notes for you to read. I encourage you to read it, and it's, it's actually a prayer of St. John Newman to God to guide him with, the, with his light and his grace. So that's all for today. I hope you checked uh, our episode number five and the previous episode where we talked about the miracle done through the intercession of St. John Newman in the life of a woman in Chicago that was bleeding and could not stop her bleeding and her baby was in danger of dying. Her uh, unborn baby was in danger of dying. So that's all for today then. May God bless you and we'll see you in the next episode.